The massacre happened at a time when Wilmington's predominantly African-American population was well-educated, owned businesses, and shared power with whites in a city that was surprisingly integrated. White supremacists intimidated black voters in the 1898 election to win seats in the state legislature, but that still left black elected officials in local offices, so they devised and carried out a murderous plan that started with the burning of the building that housed the city's black newspaper, The Daily Record. Historian Lynn Mullenauer teaches at UNC Wilmington and leads various research and other 1898 initiatives. She describes the massacre with sounds from an audio reenactment in the background. You've got um, this mob of armed white men who've just burned down a building and they begin to shoot people um, starting at the intersection of 4th and Harnett. Then the mob marches off towards the north side, which is the majority black neighborhood, and they begin to shoot people, um, starting at the intersection of 4th and Harnett. You have black folks who are fleeing into churches, right, looking for a sanctuary. Many folks flee into Pine Forest Cemetery, the African-American cemetery in town. 91-year-old Dr. Lewin Manley is the grandson of Alexander Manley, the owner and editor of Wilmington's black newspaper. He escaped before his offices were burned. Manley says his two great aunts related the horror of the massacre to only a few people. Their older brother had to go to the school to bring them home, so apparently they saw the mayhem in the streets as they went home, people being shot down, the bloody mess that was occurring. And Apparently, they suffered from post-stress syndrome for the rest of their lives. I tried my best to get them to talk about it, and they would not. Many of the survivors were forced to leave Wilmington, losing their homes, land, and businesses, generational wealth. Several documentaries and books have depicted the horrors, but a new fictional account of the bloody massacre in the Pines produced by the John Locke Foundation is drawing lots of criticism. It's billed as being based on true events, but it does not show the slaughter of black residents. It focuses mainly on the romance of a white couple. There's one more thing I gotta do. You promised we would leave today, Sam. We waited until the election was over, and it's over, Sam. What are we gonna do? The film is not designed to be a comprehensive history of the events in 1898, which, as you know, are very involved, nuanced, complicated. That's Locke's senior fellow, Troy Kickler. But I do believe that it does make history interesting in a way that documentaries don't quite appeal to the general, general public that a short film may do. The cinematic creativity was to have that love story in there to try to uh, keep the film interesting and entertaining and hopefully motivate people to learn more about this complicated past. The foundation's creative director, Greg DeDug, explains why they decided to leave the violence in the background only. The story was the, the girl from the one side falls in love with the guy from the other side. And we just felt like if we disconnected the, the history a little bit, like separated it a little bit from like something, a, a palatable story that people are used to seeing, like a love story, right? It would be a way that we could get that truth out. I mean, nobody's going to say, hey, do you want to go see that story about hundreds of black people getting massacred, right? We, we might not be as effective as if, hey, do you want to see that movie? It's a love story. The story of 1898 is not a story that can be told through the eyes of two young lovers who are white. Molinar saw the In the Pines trailer and says she found the love story theme offensive. We do not do it justice by shielding the audience from its horrors. I wonder how we can 
learn anything about ourselves or past events if they're not represented in a way that we can comprehend it. Elaine Brown is the great-great-granddaughter of Joshua Halsey, who was shot 14 times by white supremacists with a rapid-fire Gatlin gun during the massacre. Brown is appalled by the film. When you're talking about a love story in 1898 versus a massacre and people being murdered, my grandfather being one of them, how does that fit in your love story? You have to look at what was going on. It is a story of survival. Doug, who is from North Carolina, says he had never heard of the 1898 massacre prior to a colleague sending him information on it. He says he was intrigued when he learned that the white supremacists behind the massacre were Democrats. We read about the lead up to it, the Democrats' white supremacy campaign, and we were like, this really happened? Holy cow. We thought, like, this is a good candidate for getting people interested in North Carolina history, like something really significant. During the late 1800s, most Democrats were from southern states, staunchly conservative and white supremacy supporters. The Republican Party was more liberal then, but that slowly flipped over the years. Ashley was a real southern lady. In the Pines is narrated by the role of the fictionalized black newspaper publisher's daughter. In it, she talks to fictional documentarians about Wilmington's Democrats. My father's paper was the only black daily in all the nation. He was the only one standing up to the Democrats and their lives. The Democrats violently overthrew a sitting government. Hundreds of black people were slaughtered. Can you say that again? Only this time use the word white supremacists. To which she answers, I was there and they were Democrats. It's about what they wanted to show people, to try to shift people's opinions today. North Carolina Democratic State Senator Greg Meyer says he saw the trailer for the film and described it as biased propaganda. I hear this from conservatives frequently in debates about race and politics, and they want to say, oh, well, you know, it was Democrats who did all of these bad things. And sure, that's historically true, but it sure seems like a cover-up for where the two parties are related to race today. Um, There's so much misinformation in the world right now, and this film feels like a willful extension of that misinformation just extending into the lane of history. Locke Foundation officials deny those charges. Senior fellow Tickler says they would like to expand the film to make it more comprehensive. He says in the meantime, they will make more concrete information available on their website. NorthCarolinaHistory.org is a website that the John Locke Foundation has, and we're going to have some more about the events in Wilmington in 1898. And I think what would be a good inclusion is to have a recommended bibliography for people to read, going back a few years after the events occurred to the most recent publications on the events. That's not going far enough for Dr. Manley. The part I saw was a worthless piece of history. There's nothing there. Uh, My grandfather, if he were to mention Manley as being the prototype of that, then I guess I'd talk to a lawyer. I wouldn't want his name associated in any form or fashion. 
In the Pines has been shown at about 30 film festivals outside the country and in some North Carolina cities. It has not been shown in Wilmington. Upcoming viewings include Wake Forest on March 1st and Buenos Aires, Argentina on March 31st. For WFA News, I'm Gwendolyn Glenn.